Hi everyone, welcome or welcome back to another episode of Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. Now, we are going to be giving a special shout out to a patron. And our patron today is Larissa Bulla. Thank you so much for being a patron. Your support helps the podcast. We appreciate your support. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much, Larissa. Your support helps the podcast to keep going and to reach more and more listeners. And we really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. Now, let's get into the intro. Mom, who did you interview in this episode? I interviewed Judy Arnell in this episode. Now, this is the second time you've interviewed Judy, and why is that? Yeah, Judy was actually one of the first interviews on this show. I think she was number two or number three. Uh, But Judy has so much insight and great knowledge to share. I love chatting with her. I'm always personally inspired when when I speak with her. But after raising five kids who have all homeschooled their entire life, who are now wonderful adults, plus she's a huge advocate for self-directed learning, she's an author, she has so much knowledge and information to share, it's kind of like, why not share more of Judy with everyone, with all the listeners on the show? So that's why I wanted to have her back on, and it's always great collaborating with her. And she has a passion for talking about STEM and unschooling, and this is a topic that we wanted to explore on this episode and for this month as well. Would you like to say anything else about her? Uh, Any links to information or how to contact Judy are in the show notes, you can go to unschoolingtouniversity.com, but I'll have a link in the show notes to that website and to her book as well. Uh, Judy and I also just recently completed a webinar with Golda David, who was also a past guest on the show. That is That webinar is now accessible for patrons of Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. So if you're a patron, you have access to that webinar. It is a webinar for an unschooling Q&A. We will be doing a second webinar in February, so just stay tuned on social media. I'll post more details for that. We will be recording that webinar as well, so it will be available to our patrons through patreon.com slash honey, I'm homeschooling the kids. Okay, and don't forget to check out my mom on her website, her Instagram, and Facebook at honey, I'm homeschooling the kids, and everybody, her 100th episode is coming up. Now, please contact her anyway just for ideas for the 100th episode, maybe a special guest or just a Q&A or a giveaway, anything. Now, enjoy the episode. So today I have Judy Arnell on the show. Judy, thank you so much for joining me on Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. Thank you, Robin, for having me. I'm so excited to be here again. I'm excited. To, I'm always excited to to have you just on and to speak with you. Judy was actually one of the first guests on the show, so I'm always honored when she makes the time to share some space with me. Uh, Judy is certified in brain and child development and master of she's a master of non-punitive parenting and education practices. She's a parent educator, best-selling author of five print books, and has unschooled her five children who are now all adults. Three children have graduated from university, one is presently attending, and one is a master's student. Are those numbers still? And I think your youngest is 18 now, right? Is that right? Yes, yes. He's just finishing up his last math course, and he doesn't know what he wants to do. (laughs) I don't think I knew what I wanted to do exactly. I thought I did, but then that changed, so. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It is how life goes, so. So maybe for, for those, if for anybody that is, maybe this is their first time that they're introduced to you, their first introduction to Judy Arnell, if you could give us a little bit of background on how you came to be in the place you are now. Um, I always like to share a family or a person's unique learning journey on the show. How did it happen that you ended up unschooling all five of your children? Okay, well, um, I, as you said, I teach parenting and child development for adult education. And that is very well steeped in self-directed education. Um, It's presumed that adults are very independent learners. They're very motivated. They know what they want to study. And our job as educators is to help them on their learning journey. So that whole field is called andragogy. 
And then I, my kids went to school and then I learned about pedagogy, which is not like adult education. It is very much authoritarian. It's very much top down um, education. And I had a hard time reconciling what I was doing and what my kids were doing. But the more important factor was my kids didn't want to go to school anymore. I remember my one son in grade one, he'd come home for lunch and he'd say, that's it, I'm done. And I couldn't get him back in the car to go back to school. And after a year of fighting with him and his older brother, I just, I said to my husband, who never, ever agreed with homeschooling, I said, we're going to homeschool because I can't handle this anymore. I can't, I can't get them out with babies and a preschooler underfoot. And he said, yes. And it worked for him because he was going off to um, work in Peru for two years and I would be totally responsible for the children's education. So we made a deal. So I brought them home and set up the school room. And I thought, like everybody, we do school, but in our living room or our kitchen. And by November that year, the kids stopped listening to me. They would um, fight with each other. They would... <laughs> They would wander off. They would cry because they didn't want to do an assignment. I would get anxious because I thought, oh, I got to hand these in to the homeschool authority. And it was awful, just awful. And then more and more, we didn't do any homeschooling. I just let them play and played and played and played. And they learned, they continued learning. And the more you observe, the more it feeds your insecurities that they're okay, they're learning. So, for example, one day a, a child comes up to me and starts showing me um, their Roman numerals. And I said, where did you learn that? I, I never taught you that. And they, <laughs> learned, they learned it from reading Asterix and Obelix books. Right. So, yes. um, so I more and more, I just saw, wow, they kept on learning. And we played for the next 10 years. We did projects, we traveled, we had fun, fun, fun. And then as they got to high school years, I said, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to do a more self-directed high school, which is very personalized? And they said, yeah, let's try it because they're new to it. They're really excited. It's like, whoa, I get to do a math book for the first time. <laughs> so I did that. Um, I put them on... Uh, one course in junior high in math, two of the kids did two courses, and then they skipped the third one. And then they all did high school math, either self-directed, like teaching themselves through a book, or um, they did an online course, which is pretty well self-directed anyways. <laughs> and then they, they all finished high school, and um, three went on to university. Two of them were in STEM careers or STEM programs, so engineering and biological science. And third one, too, went into chemistry and energy science. So three graduated and one's in a master's program. The one that went into humanities went into a master's program and um, one is still there working away third year. Okay, so, you know, it your story really conflicts with, I think, a lot of myths about learning or beliefs even for unschoolers. Because I think sometimes it, you know, there's the idea that unschoolers, because they don't, you know, maybe do something, anything that looks like school, or so therefore they're not learning, or the structure of their day is not school-like, they're not learning, and therefore they'll be very disadvantaged when they come to adulthood. They will not be able to do things like go to post-secondary or find a job or start a career. Um, but you're, it seems to go against all of those, those beliefs, all of those myths. Uh, did you know that was going to happen or did you just trust the process as you went along and the further you went into it? Um, no, I'm, I was just as doubting as everybody else. <laughs> but uh, I, there were days I really 
questioned myself and thought, am I really, am I harming my kids? Am I holding them back? Am I not giving them what they should, that, you know, society tells us they should have. And, and then you get instances where um, your neighbor's child comes over and starts reciting historical facts. And you know, your kids don't know any of that. (laughs) (laughs) Your daughter goes to Girl Guides and doesn't know the words to Oh Canada, and you're you're feeling like the most failure as a parent, and yet, <clears throat> and then you see how they take leaps in other areas. So, for example, my 13 year old son, he came to the beach one day and he brought a high school physics textbook and he starts reading that for fun at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> so it it so the whole process of putting our doubts to bed is to really observe our kids and watch and see what they learn. Because unlike school, they don't have a whole lot of output. They don't do essays or PowerPoint presentations or exams. So we, we have to really observe how they're learning in things they say, things they do, some of the things they make and a lot of things they make online. Um, so, for example, my son, he progressed to a really high level in a video game. He actually showed me the certificate he got. But think of all the things he learned along the way. So um, those things tend to put myths to bed. And, and when I said my husband, he didn't even agree with homeschooling. Um, I didn't even tell him we were unschooling. <laughs> <laughs> when did he find that out? <laughs> He found that out the year all three kids went off to university. (laughs) (laughs) And now he's the biggest proponent. He's like, because he has the gift of hindsight, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) And I have the gift of hindsight. So I can, I can assure parents and my work with child development and brain development really cements what I know is that kids will learn multiplication tables even if you don't teach them. Um, just as they learn how to use the toilet, even though we don't teach them. Just as they learn how people make babies when we don't teach them. <laughs> <laughs> so that I, I think I can hear I can hear the voices, but how? How will they learn? You know, my child is 10 and they still don't know their, their multiplication, t- or maybe they're 12. And I'm really worried because they don't know their multiplication tables yet. How, if I don't show them now, how will they ever learn? Exactly. And, the, and that makes us think that we are the, the holder of all information and that our kids are not going to learn to seek out information they desire. And I think as parents, we're all like that. I remember when I had babies, I could just not imagine that one of my kids would be an engineer when they grow up. We, we, we can't imagine how smart our kids get and how capable they are where they can find things out that you don't teach them. And they surpass us. And I would say I'm at that stage now. My kids are in their mid-20s. Actually, they range from 18 to 29 right now. And they know more than I do about a lot of things, um, especially technology um, in that field and STEM fields. They know so much more than I know. But when your child's two, you don't think of what they're going to be like when they're 10. And they're Mm going to learn those multiplication tables if they really want to. And they think it's worthwhile to learn. They will learn it with or without you. And. We just have to get out of the way, as Pat Ferenga says, <laughs> right? Um, you can't force you can't force kids to learn, and you can't stop them from learning. And we have to realize how little effect we have on our children's education because they own it from the time mm. they're born. Right. Well, yeah, they do own it. I think, but I agree as well when you say we also have to get out of their way so that they can own it because, you know, they won't if we're always trying to control it or having somebody Mm -hmm. else controlling it every day, every week, every month, every year. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. They, um, they, and the brain is just wired to learn. They, I, I sometimes get parents saying my child's been playing video games the last year. They're not doing anything. They're not learning anything. And I, 
I hear what they're saying, but sometimes I think they just need to do a little more observation or have a few more walk and talks with their kids and find out what those kids are learning because it is invisible to the parent. It's happening. It's in their brains. Their brain neurons are connecting with each other. Those neurotransmitters are going across those synapses. And but we don't see it. We don't observe it. And we have to trust that it is going on, even though we don't see a whole lot of output there. So could, so you said it's up to us as parents to observe and to do the walk and talk. Can you maybe give an example or elaborate a little bit more on, on that? And how would we do a walk and talk? And what, what kind of things could we maybe observe if our kid has been playing video games for the last year? I, I say the walk and talk because um, sometimes it's just nice to get away from the household bustle and distractions and go for a walk and get into some meaty conversations with your children. And you would be surprised at what they tell you, what they say, the insights they have. Um, and, and, this, and you can pick up what they're learning through those conversations. Um, and it's, and if they're sitting down in your house and playing a video game, watch what they do. See the decisions they're making, the way they talk to other people. See, um, you know, what they're learning through not just video games, but through all their play, through their board games, through their volunteer work, through their travel. They're making insights and connections all the time. And sometimes what I do is I record it by taking pictures, but I... I tell parents, record it so that you you have physical, tangible proof that your child is learning for yourself, that in those days that you have doubts, you feel like you're a permissive parent, you feel like your child's not learning anything, you can look at those things and be totally amazed at what they're what they're doing. Is there also, because I know screen time is another big one that we could even go to as well, but I know things like video games, for example, there there is a lot happening. There's a lot of connections. They, especially now compared to when, you know, when I was a kid playing video games, it was almost two-dimensional in the way of <laughs> your character runs backward and forward and maybe they jump up and down, but that's mm-hmm. about the extent they throw things or they hit whatever, you know, whatever you're playing kind of thing. But now it is a complete, it's another reality. It's another universe. It's a, you know, it's another world where you have so much more engagement and extensions on that. So there is a lot. Um, do you see that with your kids, for example, that were gamers, did you see or were you able to see in that how it supported things like STEM in their learning? Or was it after that you, you, you said, oh, okay, this is, you know, from, from that point, I see how they came to this point. Or from where they are now, they got that from this place over here. Yes. So my five kids are all avid gamers, probably because their dad is. <laughs> mm. um, not me. I don't. But um, I think, and I have a whole chapter in my book. Um, unschooling to university on the benefits of of playing video games and what it does. So, so what the brain does in the first twelve years is it forms connections. So, neurons connect with other neurons by sending those transmitters um, through the over across the axons and the dendrites. So, any content learning a child has just stimulates neurons. Yes, a lot of the content goes into short-term memory and they retain it for three weeks till they don't need it anymore. Maybe they're going to pass an exam in school and they let it go. But what happens is when children become adolescents, then their brains, um, their prefrontal cortex is more developed. They start getting their abstract thinking skills And they use their um, problem-solving abilities, decision-making abilities a lot better, and they retain a lot more information. So I was really surprised when I'd ask my kids things like, do you remember the homeschool center we went to? Do you remember this field trip? Do you remember traveling to Australia? And before age 12, they don't remember anything. 
Um, <laughs> they remember tiny little snippets of things uh, unusual, like they remembered the blue crabs on the beach in Australia, but hmm. they don't remember the other six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> they remember the one day. <laughs> <laughs> I know. They don't remember their childhood friends unless I show them a picture, and, and even then they don't remember them. So, so most of their learning happened from age 12 onwards, things that they would remember and build on. So um, so they played a lot of screen time. They played a lot of video games. And I think the video games really helped them with um, that critical thinking, that decision-making, um, communication skills too, in, in dealing with other people in the games. And a lot of the games spurred them to other stuff. So making creative puppets, Kirby's. Um, they made some Pokemon and Pikachu characters with a sewing machine. They built some wooden Kirby characters. They would write storybooks about um, Mario and Luigi and Peach. <laughs> they build costumes with that. They would, um, and then they do research. They would look up on the internet. Oh, you know, how... Um, what's the relationship between Mario and Peach and, and, and even other video games like that were really popular when my kids were growing up was like um, Animal Crossing, um, Spore. We had um, all that castle game, Age of Empires. They learned all about Greek mythology through that. Mm, okay. So video games are really educational. And I know there are families that are limiters and families that are not limiters. We were the not limiters. And people would say to me, well, how are they going to regulate themselves? And again, that thing, that regulation comes naturally as they head into the later teen years. They naturally start regulating themselves. Okay. In the later teen years. Okay. So so when you say you your family were not regulators or not limiters, would you say... Could you give us a, an idea of how much screen time your kids had? Or, and actually, actually, first, before I, I, then I would, okay, I'll ask that first and I have a second question. But yes, about how much every day would they be on their screens? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know people are wondering. They're probably like, well, how much? Does this mean all day every day? Does this mean just a couple hours? Like, Judy, tell us. <laughs> okay, I will admit it. So, so in my professional life, I'm, you know, quoting the research and the recommendations from the health authorities. And in my real life, <laughs> my seven-year-old is playing 12 hours a day. Okay. Okay. That's pretty every I, I day. I knew you would be honest. So, and like people <laughs> want to hear it, right? So every day from, okay. So from age seven, okay. Then is that most of them? Um. He was the worst. And I have to say now he is working for a major video game company. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but the others were heavy users too. Um, he was the one I worried about the most in terms of addiction. And um, he was a heavy user. He wasn't an addict, but he was a heavy user. And it was lovely to see him at university where he would put games on hold for four months when he had, you know, a huge workload in university. So it comes without us even, you know, putting limits on. It does naturally come. Okay. Although for some kids, it may be a bit more of a problem. So I tell parents, you know, your kids best. So there's no right, right. or wrong there. Yeah. Yeah. So is there a big difference do you find between active screen time, like playing video games and then watching a show or watching a movie or watching YouTube? Well, do you distinguish between all of that? I did for a while because I thought, well, video games are a lot more active. They, It's more engaging. But by the time kids reach the age of teens, they tend to not play as much with crafts. They don't use Lego much. They, they leave behind the toy world of childhood. And they, and I said to my daughter one day, I said, wow, you, you guys don't make anything anymore. Like how, why is it you spend all your time on screens? And she said, mom, I'm just taking my creative side online. So it's true. Then they take 
their creative side and then they do blogs, they make TikTok videos, they, you know, um, they do game mods. There's a huge field of game mods out there that are very creative. And I thought, okay, that's right. They just moved from the physical world into the online world, but they're still honing their creativity and, mm. and their prefrontal cortex, which is good. Very interesting. So I, I love it because um, you, you don't get actually a lot of people who, you know, who talk about um, usually, you know, usually it's about the less screen time and the shorter mm. limits and the less amount of time. So it's, it's great to hear the, you know, what year, when you see, he was seven and he, 12 hours in the day that he was on screen. <laughs> and, and I, and I, I also know that your kids are, um, I've only met one of your, your, your son, um, and I haven't met your other kids. I know some of them don't even live in Canada. I think one is not living, he's living overseas now, but, um, so mm-hmm. yeah, so I, I know how, how, how they've turned out in that way and, and self-regulation, it, they, use the definition of self-regulation. They really, truly learned how to regulate themselves. So it's great to observe that. Yeah, it is. And I think um, if you learn a bit about child development and brain development, that that self-regulation does come naturally in your neurotypical child. Now, if a child has had a lot of adverse childhood experiences, so we say if they've had three or more ACEs, by the time they reach 18, they're going to have a bit more difficulty self-regulating because <clears throat> those adverse childhood experiences can um, impair the development of that prefrontal cortex. So they find it harder to put the brakes on um, addictions or and, and any addictions. It could be video games. It could be food. It could be um, shopping or shopping yeah. or um smoking, drinking, drugs, all those, it it doesn't matter which addiction, it's just harder to develop that self-control. But that's not your neurotypical child. All my kids got up at, in time for a job at eight o'clock or for a university class at eight o'clock. And and that's kind of another myth of unschooling is, well, if you let your 17-year-old sleep till 2 p.m. every day, how are they yeah. going to prepare for the real world? real world? Yeah. How are they going to wake up for their job when it comes? Or how are they going to get a job if they can't get up until two? Right. Well, if they need to get up for an 8 a.m. job, they will do it the day before they have to. Mm. <laughs> that's all the practice they need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, okay, so I also want to backtrack a little bit as well, because especially for your kids who followed a STEM career, science, um, math, technology career, a lot of that requires quite a higher level math or higher concept of math. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there's parents listening who say, okay, I understand in the younger years, you know, things like adding, subtracting, multiplication, division. We do that in our daily life through baking or building or out in nature, things like that, that those basics, they they have the fundamentals for, you know, money using, understanding those points, you know, decimals, fractions, you know, those basics are right. But once it gets to higher level math, how, you know, how do they move, like unschooling, how do they uh, require, acquire those concepts? What happened with your kids? Okay, so... Um, I just looked at this yesterday, the kids' math history, and all five did no math for kindergarten to grade six. None. On paper. (laughs) So there's a difference between doing math in your head and doing math worksheets. So through their play, through their projects, like having a lemonade stand or, you know, figuring out how much money they have to go buy the next video game, they learned math. They learn decimals, they learn fractions, and all the four operations. In their head, they figured it out. And even though we never taught them the multiplication tables, they learned it with increased practice over, um, so for example, playing with Lego, a two by four, (laughs) Lego brick gives you eight little holes to work with, right? So they the more they use numbers, the more it's 
experientially learned and holds in their brains. Now, at some point, obviously, they're going to have to learn how to do calculations on paper. So, um, so when they got to age 13, they got their abstract thinking skills. And then I thought, okay, well, they may need a course in math. Let's just try one course. We're not going to do science or English or social studies till high school, but do you want to do a math course? So three of my kids did two courses. They either did grade seven and nine, or they did grade eight and nine and skipped the rest. Two of my kids just did grade eight. And um, grade eight in Alberta is that year where they get it all. They get all four operations. They get decimals. They get fractions. They get measurement, geometry, everything. And that's a good course to get your kids as their first math course because then they learn what they know experientially and they learn how to calculate it on paper. So it's not like they're doing eight grades at once. It's that they're no math for eight grades in their head, but they're learning how to do all those operations on paper. Okay. Okay. And then they skip grade nine <laughs> math and then they all did grade 10, 11, and 12 math because four are heading, three went into STEM and probably my youngest is going to go into STEM too because he's really got good marks in grade 10. And then um, there, uh, I looked at their grade 10 marks. So for just doing one or two math courses um, for the first <laughs> 10 years of school, they all got over 75. They got from 75 to 88% for that grade math 10 course, right? And that, that was their first real introduction to a, like a full math course like that. Yes, yes. So, yeah. So then the, the ones, and by that time, a lot of them knew they were going to go into a STEM career. So they went the, the pure math dash one route. So they did a uh, grade 11 and grade 12. Um, the engineer needed calculus, so needed math 31. But since he didn't graduate high school until second year engineering, <laughs> he, he picked it up at university. <laughs> so he didn't graduate high school until second year of engineering? Yes. Yes, because you don't need a high school diploma to go to university. You just need courses, right? So, and they did their courses either online, which at that point, at that time, there was no Zooms. They had to really just self-study it off the screen. Um, self-study, do the exam, self-study, do the exam. And then, or they just self-taught it under parent-directed home education and taught themselves through um, textbooks and the key workbooks. So all four wrote the diploma exam for grade 12 math, and their average mark was 81%, which is honors. Yeah, and that really was those that was those first three years. Those, those were three years of quote-unquote traditional-style school for them. Yes. Of their entire life. Yes. yes. And the benefit of that was that was where they really enjoyed it. They thought, hey, this is new. You know, they didn't have 10 years of math courses right. and slogging through yeah. worksheets. They they came to it like, oh, this is interesting and I want to know more. And they they even did all the for practice exercises. I said to them, you don't have to do those, you know, <laughs> they're not to be handed in. And they said, oh, but I want to learn more. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you want to see. You want to see kids excited about learning. And and um, and that's what they're going to retain. If they're excited about it, they're going to keep that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because usually you, you hear about math class and it's not that, oh, I want to learn more. I know I want to do all these practice ones. It's usually like, you know, oh, why do I have to learn this? What's the point? Or this is too difficult. No, I can't wait for it to be over. So, yeah. yeah or I is this learn on the test? Or when? Or is this on the test? Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Do we have to know this for the test? That's right. That's right. So you're so most of the kids had an idea then of where they wanted to, once they started their their high school time that they didn't did they go, any of them go to high school full time in grade 10 11 or 12 
Um, one of them tried it in grade 10 and grade 12 and left after two weeks to two months. It just took up too much of her time. And um, she said, no, I want to come home, do this self-directed. So it only takes one, one and a half hours to two hours a day. Um, and then one of my, my son actually went for grade 11 and he did same too. He had a lot of credits, but they wouldn't let him take spares. So he had to fill up with courses he didn't need or want. So he came home for grade 12. And then my other son um, went to high school for grade 12. He really liked that way of learning rather than online. So, and then my youngest two, they didn't go to high school at all. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that was, and, okay. And your youngest is, he's, well, he's 18 now. So, um, and, and he followed the same path as well. He, he loves to game and, and he's going into a STEM area. Probably. Yeah. Uh, we don't know. Like he, he doesn't know, but he's, he's got the marks for STEM, but we don't know. I mean, and, and probably the, the oldest three really knew what they wanted to go into and could pick the courses for that. So for example, my child that went into humanities, she didn't need pure math. Although, you know, she got like 94% in, in the humanities math stream. So she could have, but she chose not to. So they, they kind of knew what they wanted to do, but it's, it's quite common that they don't know what they want to do. And, and maybe they just need a couple years of working and, and finding out who they are a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I yeah, say it's taking me my lifetime, I think, to still f- figure out from day to day, you know, who I am. And yeah, it's a, it's a lifelong practice, I think. <laughs> well, it is. They say now you, you plan, the average person will have four to five careers in their life. And I remember when my son went to university, they have these orientations for parents, right? And every parent goes. There were 400 parents in that theater. <laughs> so parents tend to go to prenatal classes and university orientation right. and nothing in between. <laughs> but uh, the speaker, she said, um, okay, parents, chances are the program your child's in right now is not where they're going to end up in four years. And she said, hands up, how many of you are working in the field that you started in after your schooling? And out of 400 parents in that theater, I'd say five put up their hand. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So they, um, so people, I mean, kids now, we say plan for the next five years. What are you going to do for your next five year um, increment? And then. And then you may change careers after that and and do something else for the next five years and then change careers after that. So it's it's very much more fluid nowadays for our children. Right. I, I like that. Plan for the next five years, not the next mm-hmm. 20 years. or plan for, And that's reasonable with mm-hmm. our present day as well, especially with the current fluctuations in our world and in everything, in our economy and the institutions as well. So... Yeah, I like yeah. that plan for the next five years. Yeah. yeah. So I, I also wanted to ask, because we're also talking about university and your kids that didn't really do any of the traditional schooling, um, and like you said, you you know, the misconception that you need a high school diploma to get into university, but usually it's just the requirements that you need. How did your kids have any trouble accessing post-secondary for those that didn't really have any formal education or, you know, traditional school style of education? No. Um, so when you apply to university, you're just putting your five courses and option into the field. So there's no room to tell the university about all your, you know, volunteering or community work or leadership. They really don't care about that. They just, it's a competitive admission. So they want to know your five courses and your average mark of those five courses, because that's the cutoff. So um, when my son went into engineering, I think the competitive mark was about 83. It's now moved up to about 95, right? right? If, if yeah. kids want to stay in Alberta. 
And everybody knows this. The schools know this. The homeschoolers know this. And um, and in a lot of instances, you get grade inflation because <laughs> you have to meet those marks, right? So, right. Um, yeah. So you, but so my kids got in okay. They they got into all the programs they applied for. Um, they got the Alexander Rutherford scholarships, they got entrance scholarships, and they got continuing scholarships too. Um, but a, a big question people asked me was, so if your kids have so much time in high school years doing what they want, so high school took, like I said, an hour and a half to two hours a day, how do they adjust to a full course load at university? Mm. And my experience with the kids, they, they found it a lot easier than, <laughs> than um, going to school during high school because a lot of the assignments were more major assignments. So like a high school course would be something like 45 assessed items, whereas a university course would be two major exams and a paper, right? right. So, so their time management was a lot easier Except for engineering, which is, oh boy, <laughs> that's just <laughs> a big wall of study for anyone, right? <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, they found, they adjusted quite happily and they loved the social life going from no high school to university. Um, all three of my kids actually went away for university and lived in residence away from home. So it was a really great experience for them. Hmm. That's good to hear. I think that's really, um, I think it's going to be a, a relief for some parents to hear that as well, because that's also a common concern, even homeschooling to university, but unschooling, uh, you know, when they when they aren't following the traditional path and they want to go into something a bit more traditional, like post-secondary, how do they do it and how will they adjust? So, but I, I know as well that many um Many universities and post-secondary institutes now are adjusting for university, for admissions for homeschoolers or non-traditional learners as well, which is another shift that's happening too, Mm -hmm. which is really good. Yeah, yeah, it is. um, It is sort of in Canada, but they still, most most of the major universities still want to see those five courses at grade 12 level. And there's many ways to get those for unschoolers. They can, um, in Alberta, we're really lucky actually to have the diploma exams because kids at a certain age can, they don't even have to take the course. They can just study the study book and challenge it and get those marks without even having to pay for a course. Um, and when you're over age 20, those courses are $600 now, right? Right. Um, but, um, yeah, and then there are other ways, too. Um, you can take the grade 12 course, and it's a standalone course for many subjects. It doesn't, you don't have to take grade 11 and 12. A diploma only measures the success of Alberta education's K-12 system. It is not a prerequisite for going on to post-secondary. Some colleges may want a diploma, but the smaller colleges um, will often just accept a homeschooling transcript too. And um, for them, you can, a lot of unschoolers do a year at community college and then transfer into a, degree program at another university and their courses still transfer they you know everybody needs options even if you're in a stem program you need a certain number of arts and humanity courses to be a well-rounded engineer right (laughs) (laughs) Um, so they do transfer over so it's it's a very common path for unschoolers to to do it that way too Right. Many different avenues. And I I do want to note for listeners as well, Judy and I both are Canadian. We both live in the same province. We're both Albertan. So a lot of our references we're talking about now are for Canadian universities or um, even universities in Alberta because entrance will vary for provinces across our country as well. So it might be different depending on the country you are in as well. You, You would just have to 
look into the requirements and how other unschoolers or homeschoolers have done it as well. That's my recommendation too. And so, I, I just want to add sorry. too, yeah. <laughs> um, when I wrote the book Unschooling to University, I wrote for a global audience too, because I'm familiar with the school systems in um, Japan and Europe and Australia. And um, there's a, a chapter in there that is um, about how to put together a portfolio at the high school level of what what you need globally to because math is math wherever you are, you know, it's the same math in England as India or Canada. So um, how what you would need to put together a portfolio to apply to a university in your country. Okay. Yeah, I remember that. I have I have the book. I remember the chapter. I What I'm going to do as well is I'll link in the show notes for anyone who's interested in getting the book, Unschooling to University. I'll link uh, the site, Judy's site, Unschooling to University in the show notes. So you can go to the show notes um, either on the, your podcast player page or on the website and, and find that as well. So they can check thank that you. out. Oh, <laughs> thank you. It's a, it's a great resource. It's one I, I recommend often. And it's quite thorough as well. Oh, thank you. So I thought maybe I could ask a few questions that come up from parents um, when it comes to things like uh, math, science, you know, many of the ideas of those hard subjects or those core subjects like math that are can be a big worry. Um, you know, if I if your child, you know, one I one I have been asked is, you know, my child is you know, very, usually even young, what resources do you recommend for math for my child, my child who's seven and under? What would you say to that? Um, <laughs> I have a lot of resources. <laughs> yeah. um, actually, in the book, I do have a, a chapter on resources like board games that teach math and computer games and toys that teach math. Um, and then there's a chapter on ways to learn math without a workbook. And that's also on my blog, too. But I would just use playthings like Lego. Wow, there's a great way to learn math. Lego, right? Um, things like board games are really good. Skipbo, Battleship, um, you know, and having different building materials, pattern blocks, things like that. Those are things that nobody ever buys at used curriculum sales. And I snap them up because they're really expensive to buy, yeah, um, you know, base 10 blocks. Buy them, but let your child play with them. I just, you know, one day I'll just um, throw a bucket of pattern blocks on the table and leave them there. And the kids walk by. And before you know it, all the kids are around the table and they're building and trying things out. And they're learning geometry, right? Yeah. So I like strewing and I I really don't recommend worksheets until they're 13 just because you want them to have a, a feeling, an understanding of math concepts experientially before they get it on paper. Right. So not the memorization not the memorization and repetition, but really how it works, why it works. And, and, and then after much later on, when they really understand the true foundation of it, then they can, I, I guess part of it, I was not say show it, but, but that's what happens a lot. I think in school is that a teacher has, you have to show the teacher the work to do the checkoff to show that the class is moving forward in the prescribed curriculum. Right, right. So in school, teachers need output. They need worksheets. They need right. exams. They need quizzes. They need to know. That's the only way they know that you get it. But um, you, as, a, as a, a learner, a child doesn't need to know it on paper until they have their abstract thinking skills, right? Then they have the ability to learn about the operations. How do you add fractions? How do you factor... Um, trinomials and by then they can understand it really fast they don't need years of practice doing it they can do it um, they can learn how it's done learn the formulas learn the operations learn the theories practice practice and then they're they're set they're they're fine for high school math and for the most part they're not going to use any of that 
Um, all it does is keep the door open for if they're going into a STEM career. Yeah, they're going to use it for STEM, but our 90% of our population does not need to know how to factor trinomials. Really. Right. <laughs> you know, they don't. And yes, it stimulates the brains, uh, the neurons, it stimulates them, but so do video games. Stimulates the same neurons in the same way. So you don't need math to do it. You can do it in many other ways that a child finds um, that they like to do. Okay. Okay. So then another question is, is a parent who has taken their child out of school and their child is older, 13 or older, and they are looking, they would like to unschool. Mm -hmm. So for a child that's been going to school for that long, but, and now they're, the parents, they're just, they would love to get them to do some, you know, something interesting or what they love to do, but their child is just kind of shut down a little bit. Yeah. How do they approach that? What, what should they do? I would suggest to that parent just to let your child have a few gap years, you know, D school, don't do anything that looks like school. (laughs) And, um, but, you know, have a, a house with resources, have computer access, have books to read, have the great classics to read, um, have resources around and that's what we call a supportive learning environment that they can access if they want to. But if they don't want to, if they want to stay on that computer and watch TikTok videos all day, let them. Because they're not going to do it for years and years and years. Absolutely not. The brain gets bored and people get bored and kids get bored. They will move on to something else that looks a little more like progression, right? <laughs> um, that that kind of looks more like they're getting an education. They they may go online a bit more. They may, you know, like even reading Reddit and arguing with someone um, hones their argument skills. It hones their debate skills. Maybe not the proper debate procedure, but they, <laughs> they'll get challenged to, you know, quote their sources. So they will learn and they will progress and every day they will learn something new and progress and find out more about themselves and what they want to do and then it's it's brain science that around age 17 they do take that final leap of development for their prefrontal cortex from 17 to 25 and that's when um, a lot of children's friends look around and, and they're going off to prepare for adult work they're going to post-secondary and a lot of kids think well what do I want to do with my life what do I want to um, do for life's work and they start to get more motivated into a pathway that yeah they're going to have to suck it up and then jump through some hoops to get where where they want to go but they're the ones choosing to do it and they're more motivated Um, I tell the story of one of my children who wanted to Um, finished high school with no math or science beyond grade 11 and he wanted a STEM career and then he was age 19 he wanted to go into STEM career he needed higher maths in high school he needed chemistry he needed biology and he did it he was motivated then he was going to study like crazy got it all in one and a half years and off he goes so it's never too late to pick up what they need. Hmm. That's reassuring because I, I know when you said that, you know, your, if your child, all they want to do is, you know, play, be on TikTok or watch, you know, watch shows or be on video games all day long, let them. I could, I could hear the gasp from some parents, <laughs> that, oh, but they're doing that now and it's, I, I'm just so worried and it's driving me crazy or, you know, it, but, but you also speak with a lot of confidence and trust. And there's so much of that goes into it in the trust of our children and the learning process and trust for uh, in ourselves as parents as well and as individuals. It's a huge amount of trust because, you know, that is, a, you know, my kids just want to play video. Like what if or what if they just play video games all day? You know, mm-hmm. what if what if they play video games all day, then they're ruined or what's going to happen? Um, 
how, you know, do you have recommendations on how we can build that trust and, and then help support our kids just, well, because we are, are gaining that trust in ourselves and in them and their learning? I think the trust that we build comes from, again, like I said, watching them, documenting what um, progressions they're making, right? Their progress. Um, We don't get that trust until we see, until we stop and see how capable they are. They they become much more capable the older they are. Um, And and trust that when they need something, they're going to get it. But they have to decide when they need it. Um, one example is my one child who, oh, getting him to write, well, all my boys, getting all my boys to write was like pulling teeth. But this child in particular would not write anything. And he, you don't need to write for practice. And that's another myth out there. <laughs> kind of yeah. kind of up there with, you know, babies need to be taught how to sleep. <laughs> oh, there are so many myths in parenting that um, I could just do a whole show on too. But um, kids, we'll, we'll do that for part B. <laughs> kids do not need to practice all these things to become proficient. When they're ready and motivated, they will become proficient. So my son didn't write an essay until grade 12. And I said, look, you're going to have to write an essay for the diploma exam. You're going to have to write two of them. (laughs) And he said, yep. And I covered over, okay, here's what you've got to do. Here's the structure, blah, blah, blah. I don't know how he did, but I don't think he did very well. And then he went to university and I promised him he'd never have to write an essay again because he went in the STEM program. And Hey, guess what? He has to do a research report. <laughs> and I worried and worried. And I thought, I tried to talk to him and say, hey, this is how a research report should be. You need a title page. You need a bibliography. And he refused to listen to me. He did not want to accept my help. And I had to let it go and trust. I had to. Because if you don't trust them, you're going to wreck your relationship. Because we're mm. going to impose our agenda on them battle over it, tears, you may as well just send them to school if you're going to wreck your relationship. (laughs) You know, give them to the teacher. (laughs) Um, And he got an A on that research report. And (laughs) I didn't trust that he could, I don't know, I think he found YouTube videos or, and all the universities have all these great recordings on how to do a presentation, how to write a five paragraph essay. (laughs) You know, and and kids, we have to trust that they're going to find the knowledge when they need things. They absolutely will. Right, right. Because, well, that's the opposite of how schooling is, is that we just try and feed the knowledge as much as we can, the certain chosen ideas and information and knowledge, and try and force feed it as much as they can, and then see, okay, how, how filled are you? Okay. A little bit more, a little bit more. Okay. Next year, how filled are you? A little bit more. Okay. Move on to the next year. And I, yeah, you know, it's the same. I think I don't remember, you know, we were talking, we had a conversation last night at dinner talking about, you know, our memories of school. And I think like the early years, my early grades, I remember one or two things from, you know, my different grades, if anything at all, right? Mm -hmm. It's, you know, what you learn and use and and what sticks with you is either from after or, you know, a few little things that usually comes with an experience of something as well. So, yeah, school, school does not trust children to learn from within. And, and it, it makes sense. I mean, that's the model we still have in school that's been around for 170 years. But our knowledge of brains and how brains work and how brains learn is only about the past 20 years since the invention of the MRI, where we could actually scan brains and see what lights up in different areas and that we have the technology to see how neurons um, fire and form pathways. So that information is only about 20 years old. So that, health information, the brain science hasn't come down to <laughs> the education world yet. And, right. and right. trusting, like we, 
our whole education system is based on, oh, we need teachers to teach kids learning. And we're seeing a little bit about that where the emphasis is not on kids being taught, it's on learning. Learning is a big buzzword right now in education. So the onus is on children, not the teachers. So it's it's getting yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, slow slowly. <laughs> slowly, yeah. Yeah. It's also interesting because we are, you know, part of I remember that conversation last night we were having too is yeah, at the dinner table was um you know, not that long ago with, and depending where you lived as well, grandparents or parents, um, the corporal punishment in school was a normal thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the stories of getting disciplined physically, getting hit with a stick or with a belt by your teacher, uh, you know, so there was, you know, that fear, big fear, punishment basis, physical pain as well, right? And it's not that far removed. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's hard, you know, the difference between that to allowing a child to be self-directed and allowing the learning process, that internal lo- learning process to happen as it should and develop as it should for each unique individual. It, it's a big um, difference on the spectrum for sure. It is because, yeah, we want to take that fear out of the learning relationship. Just as I tell parents, you want to take that fear out of the parenting relationship and you, you get um, kids who love learning, who, um, and, you know, the parent-child relationship, which is really steeped in communication. But we, yeah, we have to get away from that model of transmitting information and let kids, you know, learn learn what they want to learn, not le- just learn what the government wants them to learn, because they are going to pick up everything the government wants them to learn in their own way, in their own time. They absolutely will. And that's what we need to trust as a society. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. And and I agree with, with what you said too. It's, you know, it also the big thing when it comes down to it becomes, it's about the relationship as well. What kind of a relationship do we want to have with our kids present and future too? So. It is. And I, I think that's the best part of school is that teacher-child relationship, that adult learner relationship. And yet that's the, the best part and the part that gets sideline when a teacher has 45 kids and 1400 outcomes to cover they don't have time to spend five minutes listening to a child about you know (laughs) being bullied or or things like Mm -hmm. that and um because we have content at our fingertips right kids now there are math apps out now that show kids how to work out a how to factor a trinomial so oh yeah video like you yeah right yeah. <laughs> they have it at yeah. their fingertips what they need is relationships and especially with right. adults and peers absolutely judy you're always a wealth of information i love i love chatting with you and it's always refreshing to it's always encouraging as well because you know my kids are not yet adults i you know my oldest is 14 turning 15 so you know, we're in the teenage years, but it's always nice to to hear, you know, like you said, you have the, the gift of hindsight as well now. So mm-hmm. it, it's great. And, it's really good. And especially in the STEM fields, because, um, you yes. know, a lot of our, our future jobs are going to be STEM. You know, that whole field of cybersecurity is blooming. Every company right. is going to need it, right? So, um, but a lot of... Um, a lot of parents are worried that their kids, uh, that unschooling was shut off a door to a STEM career. That, um, and that's not true. They absolutely can, can kids can do whatever they want, whether they go into arts, humanities, or STEM. It doesn't. Yeah. It's all open to them. But thank you. I I love coming here and chatting with you too. And I love this is my favorite topic in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a great topic to talk about, and and uh, you're the person to talk about it with. So, I, do you? Is there are there any words of advice or any information, any knowledge you would like to impart before we close the session on for those who are looking to unschool and you know that you haven't that you feel you haven't covered when it comes to STEM, when it comes to that area, when it comes to math. 
No, I think that, you know, every child is going to learn the multiplication tables when they need it. And I think that, yeah, you know, you like I said, you can't can't force a child to learn. You can't stop them from learning. They they own their education from the minute they're born to their last breath. And we our job is to facilitate their education and their learning to a certain point, and then they take it on themselves. Right? <laughs> so don't worry at, you know, if you have a teenager who's struggling, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking a few years off to, to get their love of learning back and to, you know, find out what their passions are. It's, it's never too late to start a new path. Mm, that's right. It is never too late. No. Thank you, Judy. I will leave the links to unschoolingtouniversity.com where you can reach Judy through the website. You can find information on her book as well. Uh, Do you have, I know you have some great uh, graphs and diagrams on brain, the brain development from infancy to adulthood. Mm -hmm. Are they on that website as well? Yes, there's a section on that website on, um, on under videos and webinars and um, people can listen to them if they want, or they can just watch, they can watch the slides too. And a lot of the blog posts now I'm, I'm adding an audio component. So people can okay. listen to. And at some point I'm going to get this book translated in audio, but <laughs> that's mm-hmm. my my thing for this my learning curve for this year. <laughs> <laughs> so it will come. Judy's also been extremely Judy's also um a huge advocate politically and within our community as well here in Alberta for self-directed learning and homeschooling. So I know, as I've seen, for she's been quite busy this past year. So um, I know this year hopefully will open up a bit more time for you to to tackle your new beast, yeah. audio. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> All right, thanks, Judy. I appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you so much for having me. This, this is a I love your podcast. It's so wonderful and lots of nuggets of information. So thank you again. Thank you.